I was a prayer warrior because I was so sure that A, this is something that God was going to fix. And if I just, if I was the best Christian around, like if I was the kid that even the other kids at school looked to, to be the Christian, you know, like I was the model of that, then for sure he was going to come to my aid. Hello and welcome to Out Loud. Out Loud is a podcast by and for queer people of faith in the South. Here we tell our stories of varied religious upbringings, messy coming outs, and the gift of community with one another. I'm your host, Greg Thompson, and the voice you just heard was Cody Ballou. Cody is a singer-songwriter here in Nashville, living into his identity as a gay man while making country music. You might recognize his name from the third season of The Voice, and he is now working on his first full-length album. Cody was raised Southern Baptist and identifies as gay. Together, we talk about growing up and praying not to be gay, and how he eventually came out to his parents. Cody's found his own way to be spiritual outside of going to church, identifying as a spiritual being having a human experience, which is a phrase coined by the French philosopher and Jesuit Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. We also discuss Cody's songwriting, where he channels his own experiences and the experiences of those around him. But before we dive in, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you're new to listening, Out Loud is a show that runs completely on the generosity of our fans. If you love what you hear on today's show, consider supporting us over on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Just visit patreon.com slash outloudstories to get started. And we are not alone in the pursuit of sharing queer stories of faith. Our friends at the Forbidden Apple Podcast would like to share a quick word. Have you been told you cannot be LGBTQ and spiritual? The Forbidden Apple Podcast is a space that gives voice to queer individuals to reclaim their spirituality. Whatever that means to you. Come find us over at the Forbidden Apple Podcast. I am Melissa Weiss, and I grew up in an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jewish home, which was very, very religious. I am Pelayo Alvarez, and I grew up back in Spain, also in a very religious Catholic environment. And now we explore what spirituality means to us as out and proud queer individuals. Come join us on all streaming platforms. Be sure to check them out, and now... Let's get into our conversation with Cody Ballou. Thank you for coming on the show, Cody. It's great to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, of course. So I want to start um, with a question that we ask most folks these days is, um, what was, how would you characterize the, um, the religious background of your childhood? Um, we, well, without offending my mother, we were, um, I would say loose practicing Baptists. So we weren't like every Sunday and Wednesday kind of family, but there were big spells where we were there religiously. And then as I got older and youth group started to become 
a thing to do, I for sure was going to Wednesday night youth and all of that. So mm-hmm. my religious, like organized religion journey started in Southern Baptist world and migrated to Methodist. And then, um, I worked in the Catholic church for a while and, um, and here we are. Like, how would you have described church when you were, when you were a kid growing up and, uh, you know, going to a Southern Baptist congregation? Well, I liked it. It had, you know, a version of live music. This was before it was really cool to have, you know, bass, drums, guitar in all church. Um, we were still rocking the organ and the, the piano with the uh, menagerie of voices in the choir. You know, you didn't have to audition. Anybody could be in it, which was probably not the best idea. But um, <laughs> I just remember it being exciting for me as a, a little kid because of the theatrics of it. Our Southern Baptist preacher was very good at the delivery of it in that great Baptist way with the booming voice and the the cadence and, uh, you know, waving the Bible around then slamming it down and turning your Bibles to this page and all those things. Mm -hmm. And so um, I liked that. And I also liked Sunday school because I liked that we did crafts and I liked I liked school and I liked being um, a good student. So that all resonated with me and I'm I'm th- this has never changed about me but I am very much into um uh you know toe in the line so if if you're supposed to do something to get something I'm all about that and following those rules and the basis of Christianity for me you know from a kid's point of view of if you believe mm-hmm. in Jesus, you go to heaven and all these things. So I was really into the idea of, um, you know, being rewarded at the end of all this. Um, and I wanted to do a good job. I, I want, if God was always watching, um, I wanted to make him proud just the same way Santa Claus was always watching. So I was not going to be the kid to screw that up. But I do remember when it started to register to me that the preacher was talking about certain things that um, now for the first time were specifically about me. Like the best way for me to explain that is like second grade, we're watching Beauty and the Beast, the Disney animated classic Mm -hmm. in class. And when the beast turns back into the the prince or whatever and he turns around he's sort of floating in midair and his shirt's all ripped up and it's hanging off of his shoulder and he turns around and he's got those piercing blue eyes and he's looking through his blonde hair and all the girls in the class are squirming around and i was just like this is there's something to this that i'm probably not supposed to feel but Hmm. that was sort of my first inclination that um you know there was something going on i didn't know what to call it but i also knew that i was for sure not allowed to talk about it so at the same time i have that going on and then i'm in church hearing him talking about this in this way 
that uh, made it clear to me that I was in big trouble. Because how do you do the, um, you know, do this and get that? How do you live by that rule? And you're going along in church and you're like, I'm good. I've got this. I believe in Jesus. He talks to me. He walks with me, you know, the whole thing. But this man is saying, if you do this, then you go straight to hell. It's like a one-way ticket. No questions asked. God turns his back. You're done. That's the moment in church, the big moment where you're just like, all right, how do I, how do I compartmentalize all this? How do I have both? And gay people are, we're already, uh, tuned into our feelings a little deeper Mm. because we have to be with them by ourselves so much. (laughs) You know, we can't talk about them with people or we couldn't then as, as kids. And so you're Mm. already in your emotions in such a way that um, you're feeling it a little bit deeper. And so whenever you you're in church and you're wanting to do such a good job to get your spot, um, next to Jesus up there, it really makes that hard whenever you've thrown in this whole other piece of struggle that you didn't ask to receive, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you've, that's, I feel like that's the kind of thing you just feel throughout like every bone of your body when it's, when you're feeling like that much and when it's that personal. Um, yeah, because it's, you're, the way it was painted for me by this preacher was very simple. You pray, you ask for forgiveness, and you ask God to take things off of your heart and your your spirit that um, aren't supposed to be there. And so for me, that in a way only amplified the thing, the gay thing that I was going through by myself because it didn't. It's not that it made it go away. It didn't do that. It it made it a focal. It made it a focus for me, you know, mm. um, because I mean, I was a prayer warrior. I was by the time sixth grade rolled around, I was the president of the Christian club at school, um, um. and so and all of that. I feel like must have come about um, because I was so sure that, A, this is something that God was going to fix. And if I just, if I was the best Christian around, like if I was the kid that even the other kids at school looked to, to be the Christian, you know, like I was the model of that then for sure he was going to come to my aid, you know? Yeah. How long did you walk down that road sort of praying that things would change? Sixth grade was really the time. That was when I was like, I was desperate um, for God to deliver me out of this. Um, and I, my room, my bedroom 
I just remember it. It was, it was like if when I closed the door, it's like I would get in my spaceship mm-hmm. and I would go to the vacuum of space where I was safe. And I would just sit in my floor with the lights off and I would crouch down and bury my head against my knees and I would just rock and I would, I would just focus on this thing and just please God, please God, please God, please God. And, um, most of the time I, I felt like I was alone, that he wasn't coming to my, to, to help me here. But I never got angry. I just felt like that meant I had to do it more and more with more intensity and intention. I was always in conversation with God because I was the president of the Christian club. And when you're the president of the Christian club, you've got like this telephone on your desk that calls him, you know. And so um, it, it it was that made it frustrating for me that this one, this huge thing that was going to be my ticket straight to hell. And I loved God so much. You know, I, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be the best for God. And he was leaving me there on the floor. And then, um, I guess one day while I was down, down there, you know, in my spaceship, in space um he he showed up and he just said this is this is how i made you i i gave you this struggle and it is a struggle and it's going to be a struggle but i gave it to you because you're the one that i wanted to have it and i want you to be a light um and so get up. This is this is who you are. It was very much like a period to the end of all of that. Like I didn't need to dig any deeper for it. Um, it's not that I then looked in the mirror and was like, I'm gay. And out we walked and, you know, the sun and the rainbows started popping out. Um, right. But when it came to how me and God were, I, it, it wasn't an issue anymore because God, for me, um, I had always had this sort of private conversation with. And, yeah. and I never, whenever the preacher took God away from me in church, I had to figure out a different way to get to him. And it wasn't until... I was a fully realized adult and did a lot of soul searching and, and digging a lot and going a lot further into my, my faith and my spirituality and learning that God is me and I am God and all those things that I finally realized that it is not a terrible thing that people, those people that need church and find comfort in church and um, the community of church and they, their spirituality is rooted in that. That's that's great for them. I, I don't I don't hold any bitterness now, um, but I don't I don't need that because that's not where God and I found one another. 
Yeah. And that's, thank you for, for admitting that because I think there is this bitterness that, that just comes with the territory of, of being an outsider of, of coming out. And but you're forced out. You, right. Yeah. Yeah. Being not being part of the system because of who you are. And, um, and I don't always hear people talk about that. I think it's okay because if we don't start by admitting it for what it is, then it's never going to change. Yeah. And so I feel like there is this um, righteousness that churches have. And it's such um, a contradiction to what they say that they want to be. And so I, I had to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And that's the healthy thing to do. And it's better to, it's the challenge of there, there's that challenge of having to wrestle with faith on your own, but then there's the reward of, of coming to the other side of it and, and knowing what, knowing what your relationship with God is. That's so deeply personal to you. That isn't just what you were being fed at church, what you were being told to feel necessarily. Yeah. And when you, um, you know, when you have to go out and get your faith on your own, that's why I, I relate so closely to uh, the story of Jesus going out before he was crucified, you know, and mm-hmm. going out into the wilderness uh, because that's what he was doing. You know, he was going out there to find his faith and making sure that he had it before he was about to do this, this thing. And um, I will say that now, having come all this way, I can go into a church and I can um, meditate. One of my favorite things that um, I used to sing in in this African-American church in my little town, it was Mount Ariat Baptist Church, and the um, my baseball coach, Basie Fuller, he would ask me to come sing. And um, that's where I really figured out how the spirit can move, right? And um, a thing that is said a lot in African-American churches and um, in a lot of their music is uh, meditate on him. They say that a lot. And, um, I, that's what I do when I, when I have to, when I have to go to a church for something, you know, that's like a a pivotal moment in someone's life, or I still get asked to sing for funerals. That's the biggest compliment any singer could ever receive. As far as I'm concerned is to be asked to sing someone to heaven. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I am able to go there without any kind of hesitation and because I stand in my faith with this assurance, um, I don't need anything from those people. I don't need their approval. I, it's a blessing for me to be there, and it's a blessing uh, for them to have me there. And that's the way I, I look at it. I'm not going in there to try to change their mind because that's not my job. Yeah. And um, 
so when I go, I can go with a completely open heart and um, see what happens. I, I don't I don't have to go anymore and sit sold up in the back because I know this is all a sham. You know that I don't feel that way about it anymore. Well, and I I bet that's why they want you singing at these funerals. I mean, because that's you mentioned performance earlier, but that what you just described is is absolutely the opposite of performance. Um, at least from what I've heard in religious spaces, when we talk about getting on the altar and and making sure that what you're doing, whether you're reading scripture or, or singing a psalm or something, making sure that's not a performance, but that you're doing it for God, that you're doing mm-hmm. it for for in this case of you know in the case of a funeral for this person, their soul being lifted to heaven. I mean, that's I know that feeling um, having sung in church before myself, like there's just a I'm feeling when you get kind of just locked into it and it's less about the notes and less about getting everything exactly right, but where you're just so emotionally just checked in to that moment um, where it just pours out of you. Um, Especially if, if you and everyone in the room and God, if we all know that of all the things, you know, that he hands out his gifts. That's my, that's my gift. I'm sure there are people that are sitting out there when I sing in church that probably don't receive that gift because they're too hung up on the other thing. But, um, there again, that's for them to reconcile. Not, not me. The way I like to say it is that God is putting me in front of them to give them an opportunity to open their heart and to see what see if they'll meet that challenge. Coming out when you got to college, what was um, what drove that that moment for you um, to to speaking that that truth for yourself? Well, I you know I'd come out to myself as a kid, but I didn't really, I wasn't, uh, out to anyone else until high school. I had two best friends that kept my secret and we, it was, it allowed me to really survive that whole time. I was never, fortunately, I wasn't ever depressed enough about anything to be suicidal or anything like that. But telling that lie all the time or living as that lie was really um, that was stressful for me, and it yeah. it it was it was a a big thing to carry. So to have my two friends, we could talk about it, we could joke about it, we could you know talk about who we liked and all of those things. Um, that was pivotal for me. And then in college, I started to come out to my close friends one at a time over time and everybody was so good and respectful like no but they didn't tell each other that they waited and let me be the one but the Cody's gay thing followed me around always just because I was the the singer in town and anytime you're a boy associated with anything artistic well you're automatically gay um and if only that was really the truth think of all the people I could date but um <laughs> anyway um, 
so I, it just followed me around because I, I, I was a singer. And unfortunately, when I was in college, there was a guy from my hometown who went to the same college as I did. And I, somebody from my hometown told me, and maybe they were lying, I don't know, but I got wind that he had told his mother, who was a, like a small town beautician, like she had her own little beauty shop in town, that, um, that I had a boyfriend in school at college, even though I had never had a boyfriend. That was completely a lie. It was a version of my truth, but nobody knew that. I wasn't out to anyone but my a couple of close friends. And so um, when I found out that he had told his mother that, and her his mother being a beautician and us all knowing what beauticians are, they're switchboard operators in small towns, <laughs> um, I panicked. I knew that I couldn't, I could not allow my parents to hear that from a rumor mill in town. It just wasn't something I was willing to do. I respected and loved them too much. Mm -hmm. And so then I, it fast tracked that I had to tell my mother so that she knew if she heard it in town that she could keep her back straight and, handle it however she chose, but it wouldn't be because it was news, right? And so she met me in the Sonic parking lot and I told her um, how, you know, it was hard. I We got through it together, but um, she said the thing that made her emotional about it was that um, to find out that her one job as a mother was to protect me as much as she could when I was in her charge as a, a child and to know that I had dealt with something alone all those years in my bedroom, it really crushed her. And, um, she, she, she had a hard time. And in, in that moment, um, I think she said, so um, she had a hard time getting over that. And so I thought maybe we were going to have this great little like end of that episode and the credits were going to roll. And a couple of episodes later, maybe a couple seasons later, we would get to my dad. Yeah. And she said, you know that your father and I don't keep secrets. And he knows that you asked to meet me here to tell me something. So we have to go home right now and tell him. Oh my gosh. And yeah. that was not, in the script. That was not the plan. And yeah. so we had a two day summit on the porch. I've never actually asked him what he thought we were going to talk about. But when we finally, when the hammer came down and I said it, actually my mom said it cause I wouldn't say it. Mm -hmm. And he got frustrated and was like, what is it? And she said, Cody's trying to tell us that he's homosexual. It was like when you see on a nature documentary, like a bear pulling his head out of a, uh, a beehive and the bees are like swarming his face and he's stunned and he's sort of swatting at his, at his snout. It was kind of like that. My dad was just so shocked. And I was like, I'm still baffled and bamboozled that these people grew up with me being me 
loving sister act one and two, <laughs> and that they just were bamboozled by this. But um, it was a two-day uh, summit on the porch. He would not talk about it in the house. My brother was not, my younger brother was not allowed to participate in this family discussion. And for some reason, it has to be God. I walked into that with this on my mind. And it was, it took you 18 years to go through all of the different emotions and to go through all the layers of coming to grips with this thing. Do not walk in here and expect anything short of 18 years from these two people because it's just not fair if you do that. And so I sat there and received whatever came at me and a lot of things were fired off. I watched my dad go he in over two days i watched as these emotion these waves of things of anger and uh of sadness of embarrassment of disbelief all the things that you go through as a in the human experience especially figuring this thing out i watched him do and i listened to him and some of the things he said were terrifying, were dangerous, um, were violent. And some of the things were um, desperate. Like at one point he said, I know that you never really were interested in going with me to hunt and fish and to be a cowboy because we were like rodeo people, you know, and um, you weren't interested in that. And you didn't take to football and all of those things, and you you liked to hang out with your mom and do those those things, but that doesn't make you gay. And I said, no, it doesn't. Though you're right, those don't make me gay. I said the fact that I've always wished that if I could cut off my arm and hand it to you, and in exchange. You could give me the ability to fall in love and to have a family the way that you fell in love and the way that you have this relationship with my mother sitting there. If I thought I I could have that, I would cut this arm off right now because I, I really do just want that, but it's not in the cards for me. And that's what makes me gay. <laughs> Um, but you know, we left that I had, I was going back to college. It was kind of perfect timing because it allowed everybody their space. And I left and went back to school and there was a, uh, you know, it was about a three year time of very, I would, I came around for holidays and family functions and I was, I talked to my mom a lot, but but the relationship with my dad was strained and he had grown up without the presence of a dad. And so I think 
one of the ways that he learned for himself what how he felt like he was there as a father was to be financially supportive of his children. He wasn't going to let them starve, you know, and as they grew up and became independent, he was he wanted us to know that he was still there if we needed. And so when I would come home uh for this or that, um him saying I love you had dried up completely. That was off the table. But he would say thing, he would he would sort of catch me to the side and say, um, I may not have this the next time I see you. And he would hand me some money or he would say, here's some gas money, put this in your pocket. And that's how, and I knew without having to ask for an explanation, that was his way of being there as my dad Mm. when he couldn't be there as my father. Right. Yeah. And so, um, over time, honestly, it was me being a singer and a performer in and around Little Rock, Arkansas, and my dad coming to those things. He watched as people, just throngs of people would show up for my my shows, and there would be a line out, out the door, and it was all walks of life, and nobody gave a rip. In fact, it helped sell the show because I was up there, you know, with hips and legs and all these things. And I was very much feeling myself. I was the Beyonce of my own destiny's children. And (laughs) he just had to accept by seeing it for himself that these people adored me and they loved what I was doing. And the gay thing didn't matter. And he then, it would take a little bit of whiskey but he started to say, I love you. He started to hug me again. And then when I, you know, introduced my first boyfriend, he, he, we have got, we've gotten there, you know, um, now, um, there's still some little tiny kinky thing kinks, but not anything that matters to me. Um, we are a very close tight knit family rooted in love and um, we don't have to talk about the gay stuff but that's more just me being respectful you know did that dynamic um while you were coming out to your family did that did that rock your faith at all or were you still feeling like you had this it it never rocked my faith because um i got to the faith first like once I was old enough to take care of myself, I, I work all I've always worked. And so at that point I was just presenting my truth and laying it at their feet and it was up to them to pick it up. And if they didn't, I would have been heartbroken, but not, I wouldn't have been, um, you know, destitute. I, I had my bases covered. I didn't need anything from them for my faith because, like I said before, I got that just between me and God. Going into college and and afterwards, did, did music become your church? 
It did. Um, and I've never quite looked at it that way, but for that time, college and after between, so like, let's say college through my, my twenties music was for sure my church. And, um, I could always commune with God that way. The, the, the next phase of evolution for me in my faith was I, I went out into the ethos and, and started to learn about the ego and how that isn't God. Right. And mm-hmm. so all of now I'm in like the, the, in my master's study of, mm-hmm. of, of faith and, and learning about manifesting things and, um, the, universe and God's activity in me as an equal player in that, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how else to say it without sounding like a witch. <laughs> what, what were you, were, what were you reading at the time? Like what was kind of guiding you? Oh, well it was like it, it honestly, it was happening to me. Like mm. I was, um, I, I, I was married for just a hot little second. Um, I was with a guy for five and a half, almost six years. We got married in our kitchen, just like with, um, with someone ordained and my neighbor was the witness and all of that. And we were planning this big, you know, party in the spring. And after we got married, um, a few months later, he just really decided that that actually wasn't anything that he wanted that he, he really pivoted um, on all levels, physically, spiritually, mm-hmm. mentally, all of that. And he wanted to be free of, of me and our life and our, our marriage. And it was then because I'm not a creature of change or, or, or that's not my natural tendency to just be like, oh yeah, let's move that lamp that I put there that I intended to stay there for the next 200 years. <laughs> um, change for me as a Taurus is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden I was forced to change everything. Every yeah. single fiber of my life was forced to change. Um, and going back to that, kid who was like, okay, if I do this, I get that. When I said the vows and made the promise, it didn't matter how terrible it got. I was, that was going to be my, the rest of my life. And so, um, when it was sort of hand taken away by the other person, I never, I never, um, anticipated that or made plans for that. And so, just like when I was a child, instead of turning and running away from God in the moment of like test, I, I ran into God. I didn't mean to. It's, it's, I, I, I don't want to come across like I, I knew better than, than everybody else. I didn't. I just, I just fell into God. And um, so all of these things started to happen for me and to me god kept presenting me with people who were on the um 
the mindfulness and spiritual awakening. On, I, I I look at that like uh, the the levels of Mario Brothers. So like, um, <laughs> if you're at the first level um, and going up through there, who knows which one I'm on? But I was constantly being introduced and put in front of and crossing paths with people who were somewhere in the in the Super Mario Brother world of awakening to this higher sense of self. And so um, even to the person who came into my life that I'm now, um, I, I mean, I'm dating, but I feel like it's such a, I, I wish there was a word between dating and married mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. meant something, you know, <laughs> but there's not. Um, we're on, we have such a deep, spiritual kind of love that um, I wouldn't have been able to receive had I not met these other people. The only thing right now that is wearing me out is the election Um, (laughs) because of, I really do feel like we, we are at a paradigm shift as a society and we just, we have, we have to do the right thing here. And I, there's no gray area area for me. So that's where I struggle day to day. Um, not with my faith, but with in God, but with my faith in, in people. And, uh, I'm to the point now where I just have to pray that there are more of us than there are of them. Um, that want this better version of ourselves to to work instead of these old institutions that clearly do not. Yeah. If that will happen for us all, um, I can get back to my bliss. Mm. Yeah. I mean it's just we we are we are so polarized right now. And um yeah it it what well, you were saying a moment ago, just talking about Jesus, made me think of um, made me think of your song "Crimes." Mm-hmm. That was the image that came to mind as I was listening to it recently. Was just the idea of of Jesus before he's crucified, being charged with all these crimes. And I guess I'm curious as to your thoughts. Like, how do you feel like we're called as like LGBT folks to to witness to who we are in these polarizing times to like, to be that, um, to kind of stand up and say, this is who we are against people who don't agree with us um, or don't agree with who we are. I mean, is that, do you feel like that's something you were trying to do with that song? Do you feel like that's something you're trying to do with your work right now? Yeah. So I wrote that song in very quick order, like just like, fast on an air on a flight and i i really do think i wish i could go back in time and know for sure but i think what happened there were these two women that got beat up on a on a train i think in europe maybe maybe in england but they got beat up on a train because they were lesbian they were like together or whatever and they were lesbians and um i knew I had been dodging the responsibility as an artist and as a songwriter and as 
a very self-aware and fully realized gay person. I had been dodging the responsibility of standing up because I'm not like, I don't get down with the rainbow flag. I don't wear the stuff. I don't, you know, I will go to a gay bar and I will, I love drag queens. I love the art of drag. I will go dance my face off, but I'm not immersed in the gay, the, the scene of it all, you know, um, despite, you know, myself, I'm just a country boy that likes to be out in the yard and, I'm more like an 80 year old woman. You know, I just like to be in my flower beds, <laughs> canning vegetables, you know, like I like to be in my space. But anyway, um, when that happened, it just sort of all came rushing back to me how, and I hadn't, I'd had always wanted to try to figure out a way to set, to tell my story that didn't take an hour and a half like it is now. Right. So I, I needed to do it in three minutes and it never felt authentic. It never felt like that was enough time. And I was just doing the story a disservice to even try. But when it just hit me, like I've been a crime against myself since as far back as I go. And it just started to flow. Um, but it was also, I f- at the time, I was also writing it for, um, for black people. And I was also writing it for any group that's marginalized for, yeah. you know, like for the Jewish community, for whoever as a group um, from the time that we've, started stepping out were a crime to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the point of the song is that in all of this, as far back as we can go, we've always been brutalized and killed and, and whatever have you violently treated. Um, but still, we survive as a group. And so that's why the last line of the song is better make it stick. Yeah. 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 Because if you want, you you want to eradicate us, but the problem is it's not a choice that we make. So as long as babies are being born, there's going to be more gay people. And when I, the, the people that, that reach out to me the most about crimes are the older generations who felt, who say things like, you have so eloquently summed up my entire experience in such a way that makes me feel like I can stand up a little straighter. Yeah. Um, and that was, that song I, I feel like I didn't write. I feel like it wrote me, you know, like I, it, it mm-hmm. just was so easy to, to say when I finally knew how to say it. And it took the, 
the image of those two women just sort of sitting on a train being themselves. They were just sort of in their own little bubble. And even that was a crime to somebody. I've been a crime against myself since as far back as I go. Preacher man, he slammed his fist cause the Bible told him so. Carry yourself to the front of the line, get ready for the altar call. Tack your sins to the side of him cause he can fix them all. Lock me up if what I've got's too much for you to take Tie my hands to the back of my head And see what you can break Cause I'm just a lamb in the lion's mouth And he's got a bone to be And if you put me out of my misery Go ahead and make it quick How, how, is, how is songwriting for you? Is it often a sort of divine experience like that where it just kind of comes to you um it it is when i allow it to be i do have instances in my catalog if you will where i will work on a song for months and months Mm. um i will say though i have a tendency to 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 speak about god in my in my songwriting i can hear one side of the argument saying well that doesn't matter but the other side of that as sort of an artist who has to be aware of their what they write and the content and all of that i don't want to be redundant and i don't want uh you know to lean on that too hard and i have found that right now really trying to f- figure out do I just go with it or do I try to write it in a different way um, and I don't think either is, is good or bad I just think I don't want it to get redundant and boring you know sure so some songs take a long long time and I have learned to not panic about that if it's something that I can't stop thinking about if it's a song if it's a hook or a one line, that I just can't stop thinking about, then I know that that's a puzzle I need to solve. And I'll, I'll work on it until, until it's solved. Um, and those are really the ones that are the most fun to me that when I finally crack one open and it, and it finishes itself, there's such a euphoria. It's almost like a drug um, that only people that write can understand. We are just about out of time. Uh, before we wrap up, what what hopes do you have for this um, for this new album, and just for what's um, what's ahead of you um, right now? Well, um, when God answered me as a child and said, "I made you this way. You're meant to be a light. You are a light. Now go out there and shine it. All all those things." Um, I, I never let go of that. It really is the guiding principle of my life. Um, you know, I, I love to be, uh, you know, catty with my friends and, and 
I love gossip and all those things, just like the next person. But outwardly and as a human interacting with other humans, uh, it is for sure my job to be um, the embodiment of a smile and an extension of love, which is all God is made of. That's the secret. That's the whole point. And in everything that I do, uh, I really have to, I have to do it with the intention of someone feeling and receiving love. Uh, Because from that, I think that you get to the bigger, harder ones like forgiveness and acceptance And so when people who might not on the surface forgive me or accept me, if I lead with love and, and gratitude and, 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 and a happy thought and a happy gesture of kindness, that is the miracle that will allow them to soften the edges of whatever they're feeling. Um, universally, I feel for sure that um, whatever you put out as your contribution to the space around you is exactly the thing that you will get back. And so I have to sing and write and perform music and content that has uh, this undercurrent of sharing in the human experience and, and, and being a brother to everyone. Mm -hmm. So that even if they're just in the space of a three minute song and they're in their ear pods or they're in their car or, or whatever it is that, when they're with me, that's what that's what they get. Um, and outside of that, I'm not really interested in in the rest um, because I think that we don't have time to yeah. to focus on anything but but the loving part. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to hear your story. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show, Cody. I just think that you are doing God's work and I applaud you and I'm so humbled and proud at the same time to get to have been a part of it. So um, thank you so much. Lock me up if what I've got is too much for you to take. Tie my hands through the back of my head. If you'd like to learn more about Cody, you can find his music at codybaloo.com and give him a follow over on social media. We've got all the links in the show notes. I'm your host, Greg Thompson. Our editor is Cariad Harmon, and our theme music is by J.P. Ruggieri. And we are proudly recording from my apartment here in Nashville, Tennessee. And we are grateful to our latest Patreon supporter, David Hall, for becoming a member of the show over on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash outloudstories to learn more. 
And if you haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, hit that subscribe button so you get the latest episodes right when they drop. And for more inspiration and behind-the-scenes looks at our show, be sure to find us on social media at OutLoudStories and sign up for our email newsletter too while you're at it. You'll find all those links I just mentioned in the show notes. Remember friends, queer people have faith lives too. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. We'll be back next month with a new episode. Thanks for listening. Said if you put me out of my misery, well you better make it stick. Thank you.